Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. I see you got a, this nice mic set up. You got the fancy boom mic. Uh, you uh, you sound, yeah, you're, it's a much nicer tone on the, this new mic. Really like it. This was a problem that needed to be attacked. Uh, <laughs> it it so, did. Uh, it did. My son, uh, my son, the IT decided we needed a whole new setup in here. So yeah, we got a new, new mic and a new preamp or some such. And well, uh, and readers uh, or listeners, I should say, if you g- give us some feedback, if you can hear Bruce better after this podcast, just drop us a line on Twitter or something and tell us if you can hear Bruce better because people have been saying for years Bruce is little soft can't hear him too much i did get some kind notes after the last uh, oh good podcast, so that's, that's that's good to hear in the right direction for sure yeah i can hear you better so but it might just be my incoming volume anyway bruce uh rancid christmas lump of coal five two loss to the vancouver canucks i mean on a certain level puck luck played a big part in this game. The Oilers had more grade A shots. What were they? The grade A shots were 15 to um, 11. And in the first period, they were 8 to 1 for the Oilers. Um, but Vancouver got the bounces. And in the end, they outplayed the Oilers when it counted. I think that's really the, the main point. When it counted in the third period, Bruce, the Vancouver Canucks outplayed the Oilers. And that was hard to see hard to take honestly um we'll get into that any opening thoughts opening salvos yeah yeah i have thoughts uh oilers dominated this game for the first uh 10 to 12 minutes and then in the last sort of six to eight minutes of the first period vancouver started coming on yeah and edmonton started punting uh, where if they, on the rare occasions, they actually did get full control of the puck in their own zone, they just dumped it out to center and the next wave of Vancouver guys came on. And Edmonton did get a goal very late in the first period that you think maybe, oh, that's going to, you know, Vancouver, they're in tough. They had a tough home game last night, 65 minutes, three big comebacks. Uh, they had to go all the way to the shootout. It was a late start. They had to fly out through a snowstorm to get here. They're just going to mail it in. And, and Vancouver outworked Edmonton in this game is my takeaway, and I'm supremely disappointed by that effort. Uh, yeah, I really am too, Bruce. It was really hard to see, especially as the third period went along. Vancouver, mm-hmm. I thought actually the Oilers, um, Vancouver looked like such a terrible defensive team in the first period, probably because they were so um, tired and bamboozled. But, you know, I thought, well, this is a, this is one defensive team that actually looks worse than the Oilers. And the Oilers, with their high-powered offense in the third period, should have an advantage. Should go right through this team, but that wasn't what happened. Never. Vancouver cranked it up, kept putting on more pressure, and the it, the Oilers were the team that cracked under the pressure. Very, very disheartening. Very disheartening. Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. And because we're so upset, <laughs> we're so beside ourselves with curiosity we're going to go with two bad things each tonight all right what's your good thing though okay uh well my initial feeling was uh being in the sour state of mind that i am that 
I was going to shout out, and I'm still going to, those two linesmen, twin brothers from Red Deer, who had to fill in in tonight's game because the NHL linesmen got caught in the in the continent-wide travel fiasco. So they had to come up with these emergency line uh, linesmen, and they, they found these twins that uh, did some work in the AHL, the WHL, you know, high-level linesmen, yeah. but all of a sudden they're playing in the NHL, their first NHL game together as twins uh against vancouver which seems fitting somehow but uh uh kudos to them i mean that's like the emergency backup goalie except for these are two emergency backup linesmen so that was cool uh that aside uh i uh, my good thing was the goal edmonton scored very late in the first period to make two nothing that really put them in great position for um uh, uh for the Should rest of the game man. yeah and it was a, a, a dazzling four-way play, really, uh, where um, Jay Woodcroft uh, uh, stacked up his first line together for one shift. And in truth, they didn't get a lot done on their own on the two separate lines tonight. But on the one shift they were together, they produced a goal. This is a conundrum. And uh, the goal was... Uh, uh, a great keep in by Brett Kulak along the left wing boards, and he tapped it down to uh, uh, Leon Drysaddle on on the wall, and Leon made a fantastic pass through right through the slot across to Hyman on the far side, and then Hyman managed to spin around and pull it back through the slot to McDavid with the wide open net, and he just wrapped it home uh, late in the first, and uh, that. Uh, uh, like I say, put Edmonton in great position against a tired opponent playing their number three goalie, might I add, again. And yet, uh, from there, things fell apart. But from that moment, you know, that clearly was the high moment of the night. Indeed, it was a spectacular goal. I thought with four seconds left in the uh, first period like that, I thought it was going to be a backbreaker for Vancouver. It was mm-hmm. justice because the Oilers had had all kinds of, I mean, their expected goals for the was the for the first period was three or four goals so they were lucky unlucky not to have at least two and then they got that that uh second goal so um that was a huge moment and you'd think they were going to win go on and win the game from there but not to be bruce um my good thing i thought um darnell nurse had quite a bounce back game he's been getting a lot of criticism including from me and other people you know pretty much everybody let's be honest has, has had something to say I thought he really simplified his game. He was involved in one nice sequence, which ended up with him getting a, a break-in a shot on net, where he almost almost was able to chip it up over the goalie. I thought he I thought he played a very uh, straightforward, simple defensive game, um, and stayed on his feet and um, was probably I think the Oilers' best player. That that would be my assessment. He was the best player on the ice for the Oilers. He was one of the culprits on Vancouver's fourth goal but he of the three culprits he was by far the least um culpable he was um he was just late to the shooter um kind of in moving in from the high slot so um it wasn't a perfect game but I thought it was a very good game and more typical of Darnell Nurse I just think I just think he um I think things got distorted with all this ice time he was getting do you have what, what? What did he get tonight? I I don't have the. I can't. Uh, my computer crashed and I lost the. Uh, Twenty-one just, minutes and fifty seconds. There you go. 
That's right. That's what you got to do, Jay Woodcroft, in terms of ha- handling Darnell Nurse. Forget this. T- he's not Chris Pronger. He shouldn't play 27, 28 minutes a game. He's that's not his game. He he's an he is an energy player, and he needs to play with energy if he's going to be successful. And um, he starts to conserve energy, and bad habits formed in my eyes uh, because of that. I think that was the main the main issue. You know, other people will say it's other things. It's just decision making. Uh, you know, you you can say that, but I I, I think his decision making is can be pretty good. It's just he's got to have that energy to get there, to be on the move, to be sharp, to get, to keep going fast. And he, I thought he had that tonight. Um, I'd also like to point out Ryan McLeod's return to the lineup. I thought McLeod looked good, and it's a huge moment for the Oilers because McLeod is um, he's a really promising hockey player who was. You know, he, he when he got injured in New York, I guess he had a three-point game that day he got injured. He was just playing well, just coming into his own, as we say, with young players. And um, he's really fast. There was one play here where he just blew by a Canucks defender. And I, I don't think he got a, a grade-A shot off there, but um, just I think it was in the first period. He just absolutely blew around him. He's so fast out there. He's He's getting increasingly tenacious. And this is this is a big thing for the Oilers to have him in the lineup um, on the third or fourth lines. He makes it; he's a difference maker in that role, and uh, will will really help the Oilers. I thought he looked pretty rusty, but you know you could see his speed. You could see his you know his raw what he has going for him. But uh, uh, he didn't do a whole lot with the puck. But you know, he, I mean, seeing him out there and skating, I mean, uh, he's going he's going to uh, strengthen the team, no doubt. What was his injury? Oh, it was a high ankle, high ankle sprain. sprain. Yeah. Well, he looked recovered from that because he was skating fast. So that's that's uh, that's a good sign. Anyway, uh, yeah, I agree, Bruce. He wasn't great out there. I'm not saying he had a good game even. But I thought he um, he had one good moment where he really showed his speed. And that's what I was mm-hmm. hoping to see. Uh, let's go on to the bad things. And what we're going to do is just talk about each goal against, starting with the first one. We'll, we'll do them in order. The, we'll, the first, we'll talk about four out of the five goals, the the ones that broke the Oilers' back. Bruce started off the first goal against the Oilers are up two to nothing. They have this two to nothing lead, the worst lead in hockey. It's two bad things down. each. Hey, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, this is uh, shades of what happened in the St. Louis game. Uh, another recent home game where the Oilers had a two-goal lead and couldn't hang on. And in this case, uh, in that case, uh, they got the two-goal lead, and within uh, with, within a minute. St. Louis scored to cut the lead back down to one. And Edmonton just never gave themselves any room to breathe. Well, tonight there was an entire intermission in between after the goal at 19, officially 1955 at the first. And yet within a minute, uh, Vancouver is back within one and Edmonton never had, never breathed easy again for the, for the rest of the game. And it was like 10 seconds off the second period faceoff, a grade A chance. That one stayed out. Uh, and then uh, 30 seconds after that, kind of a nothing play that uh, uh, that developed with uh, two or three uh, minor defensive mistakes. Uh, yeah. But they were really didn't amount to much. This was uh, uh, we had uh, McDavid and Kulak as you know being beat on the play, but all they got beat for was a grade B shot from the high slot. And uh, I thought Skinner had a good view of it. And yet he, with his blocker, 
Uh, he punched the puck straight up into the air. It went like 20 feet. It went way over the crossbar and way up, and it came right down, landed on his back, and bounced right in. And uh, you would say a fluke and bad puck luck and all that, and, and all that is true. Uh, that said, that's a terrible rebound that has to be dealt with. You know, it has to be delivered somewhere else rather than right back down on top of the goalie. And Skinner, with his blocker, he did not cope with that high shot from outside, and uh, you know he wound up, you know. Anyway, so you can you can you can cry about bad luck, but to me that was bad goaltending. Sorry to say it, but uh, you got to deal with that shot. You got to put it over the into the netting. You got to you know punch it into the corner. There's lots of places to put it. Straight up, not a good place. Well, I, I do feel like crying a little bit about puck luck on that one, though, too. Because you're right, Bruce. He's got to do better. But, geez, how often do you see a rebound like that go way high in the air and then the goalie not catch it at least, not know where it is, and and then go in off his back? I mean, geez, it's just like <sighs> the owners had, had should have had by then three goals or maybe even more, and puck luck was part of the reason they didn't. And then Vancouver gets that. I should say that the, 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 the play... Uh, just 10 seconds into the um, second period was worse in a lot of ways because it was a breakdown. Kulak, Kulak doesn't, hasn't gotten a lot of criticism from owners fans, but according to the way we're looking at the game, breaking down the grade A shots, he has a, a higher rate, considerably higher rate of mistakes on grade A shots against than any other defenseman on the Oilers. And on, on that play, he try it's, it's a Russian, it's one guy, one Canucks player against uh, Kulak and Barry. And the Canuck player kind of uh, cuts across just when he hit the, hits the blue line. He kind of cuts over. And Kulak goes with him. Barry's right there, right beside him. He could have just, you know, passed him off to Tyson Barry. But Kulak goes with him. And then that leaves it wide open for um, for Ethan Bear to come steaming down the wing and unleash mm-hmm. a slap shot. Has all the time in the world to unleash it. So this is, there's, there's, Kulak has had, I'm just going to say, he's had some defensive struggles this year. And, um, you know, he made, a, as you say, he made a great play, a great pinch on the first goal. He really did. But he, his defensive play this year has been has been lacking. And um, it was, again, on that uh, early in the uh, first period there. I'll quickly transition to the second goal against, which I thought was Vancouver's um, best goal. I mean, it was a power play goal. Uh, it, there was some nice passing. There were some nice plays by the Canucks here. I mean, the, uh, I can't remember who put it into the the player in front of the net who scored, but that was a nice pass. And then a quick shot and then a rebound shot. But there was a couple breakdowns on this play. Um, and and you, you saw this first, Bruce. It was Matthias Janmark. The owners kind of had possession of the puck briefly and or looked like they were going to get possession and Janmark blew the zone. If he hadn't done that, the puck get, did get punched back to kind of the high slot area. To the guy and, he was covering. Which yeah, was, I think and he, Quinn if he hadn't left the zone, and he, Janmark is a smart hockey player. He was reading the play. He, You know, he smart hockey players do read the play. He just read it wrong that time. And, um, you know, looking for the breakout bomb. And because of that, Vancouver kept the puck in and, and made the play. So um, I think actually Janmark was the most culpable player on that play, Nugent Hopkins lost a battle in the slot. Tyson Berry lost a battle in the slot, and Kulak was unable to, to cut out the uh, hard kind of shot pass down deep into the slot. But if Janmark had been there, 
probably would not have been a goal against. So um, that was the, the the goal late in the second period that makes it 2-2. If the Oilers get out of that, you know, just get out of the period again, you know, get out of the period and not to be the... Um, they gave up that goal. Now, just seconds before that, McDavid had gone in on a on a. Is that when McDavid? Yeah, yep. a minute before then, he had gone in on a breakaway, near breakaway, a break in, and um, I, I I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't by reputation. He doesn't dive. I couldn't tell. It looked to me like he he might have dived at the end, but maybe he got hooked earlier in it. Um, he did get off a shot. How did you see that, Bruce? I, I saw what looked to me like a dive at the end of it. Like, like he was just giving up. Like, I'm going to try to get a penalty here out of this because I've already been hooked. You know, like I've already had my great chance taken away from me by a hook that should have been called. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you see it? Well, bearing in mind the orders were killing a penalty that was pretty marginal call in the first place. Uh, McDavid go, breaks by the first Vancouver guy. Uh, just gave him a little kind of hack in on near the glove, the kind they usually call, as uh, Louis DeBrus said, but they didn't call it. And then Quinn Hughes was the second guy who was trying to overtake McDavid from behind. And a bias order fan would say he held him. And uh, he didn't do anything that was obviously a foul. Uh, and yet at the same time, you know, he interfered with McDavid's progress and took him down. And often a ref will go for that, and this ref was looking right at it, and he was just saying, no, 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 and say, and uh, McDavid got up pretty sour, and Vancouver went down with their continuing power play from the original lame call and yeah. converted it into a goal. So it was kind of a crappy set of circumstances all the way around where, you know, fans... Uh, uh, Fans who were sour with Mr. Stripes tonight, uh, given Vancouver scored two goals after apparent, what seemed apparent Vancouver penalties that didn't get called. But uh, that was the first one of those. And it was, I don't know, I mean, McDavid, I thought he did a good job. He was on his way down and he still got a half decent backhand shot away. But got a very good shot. Able yeah. to beat uh, future, future Hall of Famer Colin Delia, who uh, got the better of his team tonight. The third goal, Bruce, your second bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this was the game winner, David. And this was, to me, just a simple matter of orders breaking down in their own zone, not protecting the house. And Vancouver just keeping the zone pressure on, which they had for a lot of the game. And the Oilers not just not really coping with it very well. And it came out to... Uh, uh, the point, yeah. We score that, yeah. Uh, it was an outside shot that came through that uh, uh, got through clean Costin and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, to me, um, uh, Brett Kulak, he kind of got sucked out of position like he was down low and he moved up and away from his man to front the shot, which then he was unable to deal with. So then Tyson Berry left his side of the net to take Kulak's man from behind and that left uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins as the lone guy back on the far side of the net. Uh, the shot was well wide of the near side post. Skinner overcommitted to it. It bounced off the backboards. And it was a very nifty play by Bo Horvat to collect the rebound and stick it into the net. But he did so by beating Ryan Nugent Hopkins, not having to beat Tyson Barry because he's moved to cover Brett Kulak's 
man. And I would make the case that Kulak also deserves a. All right, I'll just. Uh, I, I, well, I'm yeah, not sure, Bruce. Cause... To me, it's a missed assignment by Kulak. Well, is it? Like, he was he's... in the red light zone. Yeah, you're right. He was in the red light zone. He wasn't covering a passing lane. He wasn't covering a shooting lane. The shooter, wasn't... shooter. He wasn't doing nothing. Yeah, not was, the best from Kulak. It was just a sort of a team-wide breakdown and just such an easy goal to give up two, two games, uh, ten minutes to go in the third period. Come on. Nuge just had to cover that, like lift his stick, of course. And, you know, he was a little bit asleep at the wheel. In an otherwise really strong year, Nuge had a bad moment. Tyson Berry lost the battle in the corner to kick it all off. Like he got outworked in the corner. Okay. And um, that's how the puck gets back to the post uh, point. Costin's way back, and so there's a wide open point shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just one bad thing led to another. It was it was not good. The orders, of course, had seven minutes and 35 seconds. And again, I'm thinking, okay, now they'll wake up. Now this Never. offensive powerhouse, and it doesn't happen. And instead, what happens is what I thought was the most galling moment of the game, the worst goal of the game. This is the fourth goal from Vancouver on my second bad thing. So this sequence of pain starts with Klim Costin. Klim Costin going back to pick up the puck in his own zone and he's got a, he's there first. It's a fairly simple play and he tries to make not the simple play, which is to go kind of back into your own zone with it perhaps. Tries to turn it up the ice and which is, you know, three minutes left, you're down a goal. I understand that. So he tries to turn it up the ice and he doesn't. He turns it over and he loses the board battle for the puck. And then Bouchard loses the next battle and Bouchard just doesn't seem engaged in the play. Like he, he doesn't seem like he's intense in that moment and he doesn't react quickly to it. And there's a quick pass out, um, into the slot. He doesn't battle. He doesn't knock anyone on his keister. And this is not a good moment for, for either Costin or Bouchard. They both needed to do better in that situation. Nurse was kind of on the other side of the ice, expecting the, the puck, I think, to come around the boards. Um, which is what NHL players should do. They should be kind of shading away to where it's going to be. So there wasn't any real danger from the play. And then all of a sudden there was because of two lost battles in a row really fast by, you know, you're not expecting that. So he was late to the shooter um, who who drove it off the post, um, Mikheyev. Now, and it, you know, I think I wrote in the comments, uh, a save would have been nice. And your response was, so would a two-minute, so would a too-many-men penalty have been nice. There was an obvious too many men on the ice uh, call, just utterly obvious. They should have called it. There were six guys in the frame. There might even been another guy that wasn't in the frame. I think there might have been seven guys on the ice in that moment um, when they're touching the puck. Right why, wasn't the bench, there, yeah. why wasn't there a call? I mean, that's ridiculous. So so that was frustrating. But I, Game management, Dave. You can't be given a, a team a power play with three minutes left, you know, even if the other team made a mistake. You know, I don't know. To me, that one seemed fairly clear, but whatever. Not good. I, I don't think it was the refs that cost the order. No, I'm not, I'm not. I don't want to say I'm blaming the refs. I'm just yeah. saying a couple of calls went against Edmonton, and they did not cope with what happened. And Edmonton's mistakes in both cases came after the missed call with lousy defense. Yeah, and the vaunted Edmonton power play, you know, best power play ever against the worst penalty kill of the year uh, ever, or... <laughs> They, uh, the owners just, they came close to getting it done on the power play. And one of the key moments in the game was when McDavid had a wide open net in the second period and the, the goalie, McDavid couldn't get the puck high enough and the goalie made the save. Anyway, those are our bad things. Um, it was, I don't know. 
too much a, a wake up call. I don't I don't know. The owners have had so many. This is just this team this year, Bruce. They're not the 27-18 team that absolutely crumbled after their really good playoff run, but they're just barely hanging in there. And um, there's something there's. I'm not exactly sure what it is that seem that's going wrong. It seems wrong with this team, but def- clearly there's something wrong with their defensive structure, their defensive attitude, their defensive intensity, their defensive fundamentals. They just give up goals too easily, and it's constant. You never get the feeling when the, I never get the feeling when the Oilers have a lead that they're going to hold that lead oh. responsibly or easily. It's and it's because they just find a way to give up goals. They 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 find a way to let the other team back in the game. It's happened repeatedly this season. Um, maybe I'll go and count that up how many times that's happened, but it's getting a little bit frustrating. Well, this is three home games that they've lost where they had a two-goal lead and um, weren't able to hang on to the lead. And then two of the three cases uh, to New Jersey, and again tonight they came away with nothing. In the third case, where they led 3-1 in the last 10 minutes against St. Louis, they got one point. And a two-goal lead should be should be at least a point in the bank, you know. But it's uh, not working out that way. And, uh, I mean, you got two options there. Either defend the lead or add to the lead. And the Oilers did neither of those two things, really, in any of those games. They never scored again after having the two-goal two lead in any of those three games. Yeah. And that was part of the problem. But the other part, of course, was that they allowed at least two goals into their net to tie it up. And tonight, uh, five straight goals. Any thoughts on what the overall issue is, Bruce? I mean, other than Campbell's goaltending, which is an obvious has been an obvious issue all year long. Well, I mean, everybody's raving about Stuart Skinner's goaltending. Well, this is two home games in a row where it got... Uh, a tired team came in with their number three goalie, and uh, he stole the show and yeah. ate Skinner's lunch. Like, uh, Delia had a better game than Skinner did tonight. Sure did. And for sure, that guy, uh, uh, what the heck was his name? Dost? Dostoy? No, what was that guy's <laughs> name? The other, Eunice. Uh, uh, he was another Eunice. Uh, I mean, that's how big of an impression he, he made that... Uh, Came in when the Oilers outshot Anaheim. Anaheim 49 to 17 and found a way to lose that game. And that guy, sorry, that was Lucas Lucas Dostal, not Dostoy, close, Dostal. And I mean, who are these guys? So, part of, to me, part of the problem is uh, Edmonton snipers aren't sniping. I mean, you got to take advantage of I mean, do you think that Vancouver defense or that Anaheim defense, the last home game, Oilers blue in regulation, is anything uh, decent? Like, that's two of the worst defensive teams in the league. I mean, Anaheim literally has the worst goals against average in the league, and Vancouver's third worst. You lose to Anaheim and Vancouver in the At last home, week, eh? It's just with, like, that is no not, point. that is not good. That's not even close to good. All right, Bruce, what's your number? Uh, well, it's kind of related to that last. My number is nine, nine, and one, which is Edmonton's record on home ice. And it seems like this every year that you you think the Oilers' home ice advantage should really mean something. You know, you got the last change, you got these super weapons that you can deploy against the weaker opponents. Uh, you got this 
you know, this wonderful, steadfast home fans that just absolutely dote on these guys, right? Nobody in the fan base that thinks, uh, you know, anything about the world of these guys are totally behind them. I'm jesting a little bit, but I mean, the crowd is behind the team. <laughs> the uh, and a home, that home ice advantage is, you know, traditionally uh, the home team it does have a significant advantage. The orders are 9-9-1 nine, nine and one at home, 9-6-1 and one on the road. And, you know, when you've, I mean, they played 19 home games and they've won less than half of them. And it seems like every year they have something like this. They win the first few and then they go on an extended drought where they lose practically all of their home games. And I tell you, I was one of the home fans that went off grumbling into the night. Uh, well, actually the afternoon. Well, I guess it was night. It was pretty near the winter solstice after the Anaheim game the other day. It was already getting dark. And you got to know, people leaving the barn, when your team has blown a two-goal lead or been beaten by a third-string goalie, or this just in, both have happened tonight, uh, the fans are not leaving very happy for their 70 or 200 or $300 experience. And I don't get it. Like, where is the... Where is the killer instinct on this team like they to me they just they you know they they came out hard and strong early and all the talk was well they just got to repeat what they did in uh in dallas the other night where they beat a good team when they were on the road and at a disadvantage and they kept they kept up that style of play for 20 minutes and then they gradually just fell away from the game yeah nine nine and one <laughs> all right my number is nine that is the number of hits from Clem Costin tonight. Now I'm not as big. The Costin is kind of a bit of a the latest kind of like folk hero because he says funny things. He's got a good spirit about him. Mm-hmm. He's a big tough forward, and mm-hmm. if he's going to make it in the NHL, it would be with hitting. I'm not as big a fan of his two wit like his actual game as a lot of people are so far. Like I think he's okay, but just okay. He's he's. Um, he doesn't. He hasn't added much. He really doesn't. Hasn't added a lot. If you look at it objectively to the attack, he makes the odd good play, and um, he's been he's been okay on defense. Not nothing great. But th- there's a chance he can help this team if he as he gets comfortable in the NHL. If he hits, if he provides physical presence for the Oilers, which they lack, with especially with Evander Kane coming out, they need to be a, they need to be a team that. Is tougher to play against. Against Dallas, they came out and they were hitting the snot out of the Dallas Stars. First period, they they threw five, six, seven hard body checks. And um, Costin was was uh, throwing his weight around tonight. And I really like that. I think it's uh, a team needs that from some players. They, the Oilers, that's one of the missing elements. I mean, how many big hits has Nima Linen thrown this year? I could count him on one. I don't think so. I, I could count him on one hand, Bruce. I don't think he's been hitting consistently like, uh, he's hits but he mm-hmm. hasn't been throwing those big hits now maybe that's t- too much to ask maybe that maybe he'd be getting himself out of position and he's just trying to keep I it simple that, at this I point think, i think that's the thing fair enough, the hits fair enough. When they're there he really hammered one guy tonight but costin hammered about four guys tonight yeah nima linen's been playing better actually since his latest call up yeah. like he's playing better hockey so I don't, i'm not complaining about him but he, I, he hasn't been like when he came up last year it was kind of a revelation like wow this is what the team's been missing is this guy who really hits hard anyway the orders do need that um they used to have it a little bit now and then with cassian not so much in the last years of cassian's career costin if he can provide this even when kane comes back i mean he might have a place in the lineup <coughs> if there's no other injuries 
And um, I li- I've liked them so far with Nugent Hopkins and Janmark, who are I think are two very smart hockey players. I liked what I heard tonight that he's learning. He's asking Hyman and Dreisaitl how to puck protect um, mm-hmm. and uh, might learn from them. I mean, a lot of that is also just physical training, like building up your base, building up your strength, building up your skating. You have to have the physical attributes to be able to do that. Costin might. Uh, and he might, you know, also pick up some hockey tricks, uh, hockey technique in order to do that better. But he has, he made a really nice play against Dallas, obviously setting up Janmark's goal. And uh, he threw the nine hits tonight. Keep the hits coming and he may stay in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed his game for first 45 minutes. He had, you know, he did a lot of physicality. He was the one oiler who actually broke through and had a decent shot on net in the third period. Yeah, on, on on his own play, power move inside and hard shot that forced a good save, uh, and that was the only only uh, grade A shot that Oilers had until the goalie was out. Nuge had one very late when it was four two, but they you know they didn't generate a lot. But Costin at least did have that one play. Uh, alas, he was uh, part of the defensive ineptitude on both the third and fourth goals. So at the end at the end of the night. Yeah, yeah, he's not. And I have to grade this guy. I have, you know, I got a couple of big glaring minuses and a whole lot of little pluses. So, like, there's lots about his game I liked, but three or a four, I guess, probably a four. Oh, yeah, even a five. But he's not going to get a plus grade because you know the defensive stuff went just was too costly. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Well, we're at Christmas, the Christmas break. Um, we're off for a while, and uh, the orders have 18 wins and 17 losses. Mm-hmm. I don't I, like w- when uh, Jack Michaels was talking about it, or like before the game, he was framing it. Well, if the orders win this one, there'll be five games above 500. Like, no, those losses in overtime and shootouts, they are they are losses. They're not like non losses. You get a point, but they they they're actually called a shootout loss or an overtime loss. There is an L attached to them. The Oilers aren't, wouldn't have been five games over 500 if they had won tonight. They, they would have been two. They, they are now 18 wins and 17 losses. That's this year's Edmonton Oilers, not this other team that, you know, has a big um, advantage in terms of one losses. And the Canucks have, I think, 15 wins and 18 losses. They're not 500 yeah. either. So I, I, this framing of it that a team that, that is... Uh, has equal points to the games played is not a 500 hockey team. Well, That's, five. I mean, you could argue technically they got 50 percent of the available points, but the but the uh, uh, in terms of their one uh, losses, they're but not. but the well, the thing is that 500 is a, not even a contending record. You have That's to right. be at least 550 in That's the right. Batman era NHL to be average because they give out all these extra points left and right. Like Calgary and LA last night, for instance, LA had a two goal lead, blew it, won it in overtime, still got their two points. Plus Calgary got one. That seems fair. Anyway, uh, I'm very sour about all the three point games on the out of town scoreboard as always. But uh, uh, we've talked about that plenty recently, but you're right. I mean, 18 and 17, they won one out of their last five games. And uh, since, uh, you know, since they were on a, their latest little roll and they're, they're, you know, I mean, these, this is supposedly the soft part of the schedule that they've been waiting for, right? And the only team they beat in those five games was the only team that was above them in the standings. 
and they lost four games to teams that were below them. And Vancouver now, uh, with two games five in points. hand, five points back, they win those two games in hand, and they're right there. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting season for the Oilers. Um, it's a little, it's obviously disappointing, and I was expecting better. I think most yep. most fans were expecting better. Yep. And we've yet to see it. We're not seeing it. So, um, yeah, bring back Duncan Keith. <laughs> bring back Mike Smith. Bring back Mike Smith. We wanted to send to the miners. Everyone in oil country wanted to send to the miners in late uh, late March last year, early April. But then he everybody then hated he him because it. he yelled at the defenseman when they score. So what happens now? They score, and we all yell at the defenseman. I'm not <laughs> quite sure what's different about that. <laughs> uh, kind of. <laughs> all righty. Well, hopefully, Bruce, in the new year, things will turn around. This team has this team can turn it around. I still think um, some some players are going to have to step up and uh, play a little bit better, but they're capable of doing so. And hopefully they'll they'll enjoy good health, and Jack Campbell will have a little bit of a rebound in the new year as well. So uh, it's the Christmas break, Bruce. Thanks mm. for talking tonight, and Merry Christmas to you, and Merry Christmas to you, every cult of hockey uh, to the faithful. That's right. Instead of going grumbling into the night, we can go grumbling right into the holidays after that one. Anyway, <laughs> I, I will echo your sentiments, and that is uh, uh, the season to put hockey away for a while and enjoy some of the other good things in life. And uh, to you and yours, everybody listening, uh, have a have a very happy, uh, enjoyable holiday season, and uh, we'll be back in the saddle next game at at Calgary. Oh boy. Uh, I just want to add one thing. I really enjoyed, I thought that the, the Christmas greetings or the, you know, holiday season greetings from all of the orders in their different languages was, was wonderful. That was a brilliant little thing that they did. It was very, it was very interesting. It just hit home what international game hockey has become from its Canadian roots. It's, It's traveled across the world. Many people from around the world play it. They play the game very, very well. And it was just nice to hear them speaking in their own languages uh, wishing everyone uh, the holiday best. Bruce, in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.